Hey everybody, welcome to episode 187 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I should say lead developer, Jaime Lopez Jr. Technically um, not a lead developer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but you play one on, on a, a conference talk. Um, and uh, we're also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Ooh. All right. Actually, you know what I was thinking about? So I was, I was doing some math here today, right? So um, I was thinking, okay, well, we have time to do a WWDC t-shirt like we do every year. Right, and not that it says anything about WWDC or whatever, but um, we're it almost would have been so close to being the 200th episode of More Than Just Code. The 20th of, of June, if we keep going at our regular schedule, will be our 200th episode. Hmm. So, what do you think? <laughs> like, wouldn't it have been serendipitous if it just landed, landed on that week? Right? Wait, what week is it? I thought it was that week. No, it's the it's June. Uh, June fourth, I think fourth to eight. Yeah, June fourth, and yeah. you said it's the two hundred episode. Two hundredth episode is June on the twentieth of June. Oh, twentieth of June. Oh, oh, yeah. So it'll be it'll be at the one ninety nine. Well, maybe we should just tongue and formally planted in cheek and do a t shirt that says the hundred ninety eighth episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, either way, because like we can just you know assume you know, it's pretty close that the two hundredth episode is reasonably close. I mean, oh, WWDC bicentennial. How about that? Yeah, Does that, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work, does it? Is that right? Bicentennial, bicentennial I mean, 200, is 200 right? years. Is it years? Yeah. Or is it just 200? The ennial part means oh, years. makes it a year? Yeah. Where's our etymologist when we need him? Yeah. We <laughs> did have the sesquicentennial something or other uh, for the 150th yeah, episode because that was around yeah. the time that Canada was having its actual sesquicentennial. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was the same weekend. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? The bicentennial episode or the bicentennial t-shirt? I could see that mm-hmm. because, I mean, okay, so if that t-shirt's ready for, you know, in time for WWDC, like something would have to go horribly wrong in the final like month or so prior to us not hitting the 200th episode yeah yeah well but it won't be during that week though it'll be two weeks afterwards well sure but you know people were selling um you know i saw the eclipse t-shirts prior oh, well to the, eclipse, the eclipse actually occurring oh. assuming that it was going to occur as scheduled and assuming they didn't get hit by a bus or something before the weekend right yeah yeah <laughs> all right well we can, we'll, th- we'll think of something bicentennial-ish to, to celebrate or whatever cool all right then we have our theme for the t-shirt for this year right so that's sort of our follow-up <laughs> Um, do we want to talk about this this uh, iOS dev iOS dev what's it called is it iOS, iOS dev, dev directory, directory? What, what, what is yeah. that so it, it's a listing by Dave Verner. Do you know Dave Verner? Do, you know, do we know who he is? Yeah, he does the email, weekly email. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's put together an iOS dev direct, directory, which, you know, has um, listings of official IO, Apple blogs, iOS development blogs, iOS design blogs, marketing blogs. And one of our fans pointed out, our, our fan, I should sort of throw out the other one. He mentioned uh, More Than Just Code podcast, uh, Shared Instance, uh, Swift Unwrapped, and uh, which is not coming up here and uh, fatal error fm as um podcasts that weren't on the list so um late last night i was uh thanking him for suggesting us and uh, dave Werner said to me do you want to do a pull request so so i have i'm halfway through i've updated the i've updated added our added our names to the json feed and uh and our you know our particulars our website and our twitter handle and stuff like that and uh i just got it up on my github and i just have to do a pull request so that's all we have to do yeah and that was Anyways. david sinclair was the the fan who who noticed yeah, we David. Were yes, thank well you, uh, Several of those other ones. Yeah, yeah Dave Sinclair. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, David. Well, uh, maybe we'll send you a T-shirt. I don't know. All right. So um, here we are. We have no follow-up this week, Jaime. What's going on? 
it's pretty rare. I mean, we, we've done some, or I should be more clear. I've done some really ridiculous follow-up where it was like, follow-up, yeah. WWDC is coming up. Follow-up to last well, year's Well, that, that actually is a follow-up item, I guess, right? But by the time you read this or watch this, listen to this podcast, uh, it'll be too late. You will either know if you're going to WWDC or you're not. So, so as of this recording, I have put my name into the hat for WWDC. I think I was the one sitting on the fence last week when we talked about this, and you guys were both going to figure out how to game the system to you know align the stars so you, you'll get picked right and yeah well hypothetically the odds are the same but we were thinking hmm what if that random number generator for the lottery is yeah. busted in some way we've submitted yeah. early before and got nothing what if we submit yeah. late hypothetically it's the same so there's no cost to us but hypothetically it uh yeah it could work to our advantage yeah i don't know maybe they maybe they have they have like a new you know um siri thing that they go hey siri pick another name from the sorting hat and, and uh maybe that's how they pick the names <laughs> <laughs> just mm-hmm. it's just some sad intern sitting there yeah exactly <laughs> asking yeah. her has names to, and has to read them off a paper them. yeah write them down on a piece of paper and then pull them out of a hat <laughs> <laughs> all you know 60,000 or 100,000 what do we figure there were I don't know well, and you, you guys still need... haven't put yours in like should we stop the podcast while you guys do your entry or what no if it's till Thursday then we'll, we'll be fine I'll, I'll have time to put mine in using you know the company account so that it's hypothetically transferable to okay. somebody right. else on the team who hasn't gone to WWDC since, as I mentioned last episode, it seems like the timing is really not going to work for me too well uh, this year, unfortunately. Oh, so you're not really that crushed if you don't get your thing in by 10 o'clock tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which means, of course, that I've probably guaranteed that I'm going to get a ticket because I won't you be think? able to personally use it. That's I feel like my luck works that way. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So I, I yeah. arrange my life sometimes. It's like, okay, here's two scenarios. I could leave early and show yeah. up way too early and be annoyed by having to wait around, or I right. could leave what I think is on time probably end up being late and then be super stressed that I'm late. I'd rather have less stress and more sitting there annoyed, you know, on my iPhone, yeah. waiting around sort of thing. And then it tends to work out for me. Yeah, I don't know. I, for me, anytime I enter a WWDC, it's always been the, the second that I can afford to do it, I do it, right? So I had to wait for a corporate decision, but as soon as it came through, that's the first thing I did, or pretty close to the first thing. But yeah, like, I mean, the last time, I, I think the year before the lottery started, Mark and I were chatting about this back then because I, I I very rarely check my email in the morning and, and I just happened to check it that one day and it was like 8.30 in the morning and I got the email saying, you know, it would have been 5.30 for Mark and it said, you know, hey, enter enter now and I just turned to the computer and entered and got a ticket, right? And then I think by the time Mark got up or heard about it or I texted him or something or pinged him or whatever, it was already, it was already sold out, right? Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, I, I noticed that I get emails from Apple significantly later than everybody else these days, at least you guys. Yeah. Uh, for example, when, when WWDC was announced this, this year, uh, I saw Slack messages from you guys saying that it was it was uh, happening, happening, and yeah. I hadn't gotten the email yet. I, I mm. didn't get it till a couple of hours later. Yeah, well, I I think I just got the um, emails yesterday. Actually, now that you mentioned that about about you know get your name into the hat kind of thing, right? Mm. Into the sorting hat. Yeah, maybe it's because what? it's alphabetical. So my name and Tim's yeah, name, thought about last that. name are you really thought... close to each other alphabetically, but Mark's name is way later in the alphabet. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. I don't know. I swear to God, I think I still think they use Arc for random and just pick a name or pick a number. I can't. Yeah. So here, yeah, eight oh seven this morning. I got the don't miss the. Well, I got the don't miss your chance to register email. Right. So that's probably. Is there a second round or? I get mine. Hold on. I don't know what was Greg was talking about the fact that it was uh, WWC. Well, interestingly, I got mine at five seventeen a.m. this morning, which would be eight seventeen your time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at the same time, so they've improved well, their mail servers. Yeah. Ooh, look at this. Five twelve in the morning Pacific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, before there was a lottery. 
story that th- those five minutes would matter yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah huh. well, they've obviously got faster uh faster server going there yeah. well the other thing too is like whether they were using distributed servers during the during the point you know point where they had the everybody had to go at in, at 10 a.m and buy the tickets you know i wonder they must have had federated servers or distributed servers serving up the ho- the store right or would it all go to the same place because i think you said mark you couldn't that year you couldn't even get onto the the page right yeah there that were, would be 20 yeah there were a couple times when i couldn't 2013 i think right yeah, yeah. i remember that far back yeah back then well, 2014 was, was the last the same, time i went so <laughs> it was all going to the same cheese grater mac pro sitting under somebody's desk yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well I, last ticket i got was 2014 and that was through the lottery right and uh, that was a transfer too for the for the those of you playing along at home for you driving at home anyway all right let's move on to the main main meat of the show so um i saw this earlier and um basically that apple is now bringing development of screens in-house I, immediately i don't know why i thought monitors when they said that but i was reading the article again just before the show and it sounds like they're talking about um uh screens for devices like ios devices so this is using micro led technology have you guys had a chance to look at these two posts yeah it sounds like apple acquired a company a couple of years back and kind of inherited this technology which was oh, really? still under yeah. development uh but so so there's a there was an existing team already developing this stuff uh here in the valley so uh, santa clara and apple acquired a company called let me uh find the year getting the article here means it an f doesn't it um, yeah saw so that earlier Start playing the jeopardy theme oh luxview they acquired this company oh, luxview. called luxview in 2014 and it looks like they 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 inherited all that uh research well, at least the IP and possibly the team as well uh, that was working on it. And it's it appears to be something that really nobody else has. So it would give Apple kind of a, a good competitive advantage over the, the you know, buy it off the shelf displays that, that everybody else is using these days. So it's kind of an interesting right, right. thing. It, it doesn't sound like this would be a production facility here in Santa mm-hmm. Clara. It would just be a kind of a pilot line development uh, right. research team. And they would, they would eventually have to farm that out to some outside contracting manufacturing site. Mm-hmm. But if they own the technology, then you know, nobody else can use it unless they license it from out. So it'd be a big kind of advantage. Right. Yeah, there's another link here too, which is interesting from, I think it's an article, yeah, article by Mark Berman. And uh, what's interesting is that he made a comment that the Apple stock went down because they're bringing screen development in-house. Did you see that? Yeah, Apple Power shares drop after iPhone maker said to develop own displays. This was uh, on March 19th. Well, yeah, there's lots of other reasons the stock could drop as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly, yesterday there was there was some bad press about uh, about Silicon Valley tech companies in general. So oh, yeah, part of that, right? Yeah, we that's mm-hmm. the other elephant in the room. We haven't talked about that. That could be uh, we're talking about the the thing with um, Cambridge Analytica, or yeah, what it's called, and, and or Facebook, sure. Yeah. Before we go down that particular path, um, I did take a quick look at one of these articles, and the, it felt like to me they really buried the lead on like, well, well why should I care about micro LED? Because I don't know what it is, right? I didn't know off the top of my right. head. Right. Yeah. The yeah they give here is that uh, like w- w- one of the final paragraphs essentially of this whole story is that the screens are notably brighter than the current organic LEDs. Oh, really? Um, and the engineers have a finer level of control over individual colors. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. And now I can see why Apple might try to buy up all the capacity or build its own or do whatever it could to ensure that it had, you know, this huge advantage that other people like literally would not be able to get right, if they right. bought patents or they bought up all the supply or doing anything that they can with that huge, you know, treasure trove of money that they have is a oh um this doesn't scale guess what it scales with money so let's spend money and make this a possibility right right but then it's also risky with a, t- a technology that's relatively new to do that though wouldn't you think or i guess is the oled relative still new 
was in people's hands, as it were. Well, OLEDs are, are kind of new for Apple uh, in and uh, for Apple products, but they're it's not really new technology. It's been around for years. Right. And I remember I remember hearing about the technology uh, back when I was in the semiconductor business, and that was you know a long time ago. Right. I remember when this must probably was around 2002, 2003 that I remember hearing about these things. So it's you know almost 15 years ago. So it's not new technology by any means. But you know just because they're they're building a facility here and they have a research site, it doesn't mean that they're going to roll them out to production anytime. Soon. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. It yeah, could yeah. be two or three years away. I mean, it's you know it's the same way that Apple's building you know prototype driverless cars. Right. It's right. It's, a, it's a new right. technology. It, it may or may not ever come to anything, but but it still pays for them to do re- to put some research dollars into it just in case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and they're not going to like bang these out in, in Santa Clara. They're going to have like they need to make billions of these uh, screens, right? Don't they? Yeah. No. They. I I doubt that they would do the actual manufacturing here. I mean, anything's possible, but, yeah. but I doubt it just for cost reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of key thing people forget about what Apple does with a lot of this stuff and that very few manufacturers have to do something at their scale, right? Like on day one of that new iPhone or whatever it is, they need to have, you know, three to 10 million of these devices ready to roll. This isn't like other, you know, fly by night manufacturer, like, oh, we've got a phone that does blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, because you only had to build a hundred. <laughs> you knew you were going to be a, yeah. a loser from the get-go. You knew you weren't going to make that many because nobody was right. going to buy them. Like Apple stuff is going to sell out and it's going to be a huge deal of like, oh no, we chose this technology and it turns out we can't build more than a hundred thousand of them. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if uh, it will portend any sort of changes to color management, just like we got that like hmm. extended color gamut or whatever it was. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. A year yeah. or two ago, I think. Yeah. I don't remember what that's called. Um, yeah. I was going to, what did you just say? Um, so yeah, did you guys just a quick sidebar here? Did you hear about the Uber car, self-driving Uber car that ran yeah. over somebody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was just yesterday, right? Yeah. Yep. It's still uh, still in progress in terms of information that's coming out about that. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the day has arrived because we wanted to find out what would happen if, and here we are. I mean, I saw a video okay. about that. Um, the video is kind of hard to tell because it's, it's such a dark video, and that might hypothetically be what a human sees. What I'm more interested in is what did the light yeah. see? What did the sensors see? Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would think that they're used infrared and all that kind of stuff too, right? Sure, I sure. I mean, if, if people have seen the video, like from the video, like it's a very dark video. Um, it appears as if a person just like appears out of nowhere. And it's like, oh man, like I've definitely mm-hmm. had that sort of scary thing happen where you're in that, you know, going under uh, under a bridge and there's like the street light that covers part of it, but a part is covered by a different street light. And you can see people almost jump out in front of you and you, you slam on the brakes or you swerve and you have a little mini heart attack and you, you count your blessings that you didn't kill somebody that night. Um, through no fault of your own, right? Just like random happenstance of, of, of poor visibility on the road. Uh, this video yeah. sort of gives people that impression. It's been interesting to see how if people are pro-Uber or anti-Uber or pro-automated cars and anti-automated cars, like everybody reads into the same video, the same like totally different kind of perspectives. Um, right, my own take right. on it was like from the human being standpoint, if that video represents, the, the visual aspect of the video represents at all, um, you know, actual real world, you know, as the driver could see it sort of conditions like there would have been very little chance of seeing that person come out however this isn't the case right in this case this is an automated vehicle that doesn't see like a person does so i'm very curious to see what was the data what did the car know what did it do or not do and then of course there's internal video that shows the safety driver and and their alleged actions there so was there somebody in the car like in like could grab the wheel was it or like completely autonomous car here yeah in in this case they have somebody who's you know ready I, i think hypothetically ready to like pull
pull the brakes, you know, that sort of thing. Um, if the car decides to run through a red light or something, right? If there's a glitch, there's right, some right. Sort of unknown condition. Maybe the car was checking its text messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or fiddling with the, the radio. Or fiddling with the radio. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For sure. RayWinderlich.com has been the best place to learn iOS development on the internet for a long time. Over eight years, in fact. I've been using it that long. How about you? And now the team at RayWinderlich.com is expanding in a big way into Android and Kotlin development with an avalanche of new Android and Kotlin books, courses, and screencasts. From March 19th to 30th, you can get access to the all-new Android Kotlin books, courses, and screencasts at a massive 20% discount. If you've been thinking about moving your career ahead with Android and Kotlin development, this is definitely the time to do it. Head on over to store.raywonderlick.com to take advantage of their time-limited Android Avalanche sale, which ends March 30th. So yeah, the other thing is speaking of, of, well, I mean, this is, it all comes down to like whether the human programmers can predict what the case would be where this would happen. So which takes us to the next story or the thing we just quickly talked about, which is the, the Facebook thing going on with the, the use of, t- of, you know, the data, you know, outside of the, um, the agreed upon use, right? The 50 million users that got somehow compromised. So it's an interesting word. So it's, it's, it's more nuanced and it's, it's taken a lot of like reading different perspectives to try to understand what's going on. So I think Facebook is correct when they proclaim that it is not a breach because it's not a breach in the terms of like how we normally think of that, right? Like what yeah, happened? It wasn't Equifax. stolen. It wasn't somebody broke in. And yeah, yeah, nobody, exactly. nobody broke in. Uh, it's not even the case that I thought of myself. It's like, well, you know, nobody has to break into my house. But if I like give my house key to a random stranger and I come home and all my stuff's missing, it's like, well, I gave them the key, right? This is yeah, yeah. somewhere kind of in between where, as far as I can tell, it sounds like uh, given the state of Facebook, um, developer API at that point. I think they were pretty relaxed with the information you can get about people's friends. So right, yeah. somebody created, and these are hmm? and these are friends. This this isn't this isn't the idea where you share your your contacts contacts into Facebook. This is the your friends in Facebook. Yeah, your friends right. list. So so there was definitely I was using Facebook uh, as a developer back when this changed around 2013 2014. There was definitely a point where before that point you could from the Facebook graph you could get all of your friends information so really so if if you are if you have were writing an app and you authenticated as as a facebook user use facebook connect then the app could through the facebook graph get all of your friends and their basic information through the facebook graph like the demographics and location and something yes. like that or yeah all that stuff that was all pretty much open at the time now facebook changed that or like i said around 2013 2014 i don't remember exactly when it was and they and they and they really really clamped down on what was available before that it was kind of free for all it was it was wide open wow. yeah. so yeah. so I, I believe what this was was that they used that at time to uh to to gather all this data and 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 then uh well and then went from there uh but but according yeah. to facebook's rules at the time it was perfectly allowed what they did now what they used it for was not good and not yeah, yeah. potentially not legal oh. but but as far as facebook was concerned it was it was uh following their rules now it's i guess it's, it's going to be up to the courts to decide whether uh, Facebook uh, is at all liable because their rules were bad, and we'll see what happens there. But but it doesn't. It wasn't a, as far as Facebook is concerned. It wasn't a breach because they were following the the rules that were allowed at the time. Well, yeah. So how I heard it was it was a, the, some professor at Cambridge University was using this for some sort of experimental way, and, and he because he had access to all this information, right? And then he sold it, or it got sold to um, Cambridge Analytica, or whatever. 
whatever the name of the company is, right? Um, and they, they're the ones that sort of went and used it, which contravened um, Facebook's rules at the time, right? Like, you know, it's kind of like if you had, like, as you just said, if you just grabbed all that data back in 2013 and then you gave me a thumb drive with it on it, right? You know, kind of thing. That would be, and I hadn't ever agreed to the Facebook SDK rules or whatever, right? right. That would be in breach right. of their, their usage, fair usage or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's messy stuff. Yeah, I think it's especially tricky because, you know, for the people who signed up for whatever that application was that was using Facebook's login and, and harvesting data, at least they had some sort of informed consent for what they were doing there. But yeah, because yeah. of the design of the Friends API for Facebook at that point in time, all of their friends did not have informed consent, which right. yeah, true. makes it more troubling. And I think, you know, we've talked about in the show that it's something we should be careful of as individuals of like, you know, throwing your data around willy nilly and just because it, it hypothetically is deleted doesn't mean it's actually deleted and you should just treat it as if, if it's on the internet it's on there forever and yeah, yeah. as developers we should also think critically about like well should we really even be collecting this information and and do we want to take sort of the stance that apple does right where they tried to have as little of that as possible um, and, and they avoid yeah, yeah. situations like this um granted their you know their whole business model is predicated on that and that's kind of contrary to what facebook's business model is for example right so the incentives are a little different but i think the at least you know thinking of it critically and mindfully and whatever your answer comes to um i don't think i'm going to judge too harsh i lean more towards one way than the other but at least if folks are thinking about it then it won't be a surprise right at least you're knowingly doing things yeah it's funny they were saying today on the radio that there's no software developer code of code of conduct code of, code of ethics kind of thing like there are in you know other other realms of you know work and study right and uh, maybe that's they were raising that question is maybe that's something that should happen or should come to be right but then how do you police it and you know then you're going to have you know die hard f- seven plots where you know <laughs> they're ca- have some developer who's who's throwing the the rules around right so that was yeah. a joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think it'll be more interesting to me to see what ends up happening on the european side i i don't have a lot of faith in how it will turn out on the united states side just because our sort of general rules and regulations and cultural philosophy around privacy is quite a bit um, relaxed for lack of a better word. And yeah, the Europeans are definitely stronger, yeah. a lot more like you should never have any information ever unless it's under this particular condition. Like they're very strict about that. And I'd be very curious to see what ends up happening in that arena. And if any of that sort of migrates its way into like, as you discussed the, like a software engineer code of ethics sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see what happens with that. So coming back to our idea of, of Apple being ahead of the curve in terms of their micro LED work. Um, another post I put here is talking about the face ID technology, which is the the true true depth camera uh, that scans your face using infrared technology. Apparently, is two years ahead of any other phone manufacturers. Did you guys have a chance to look at that one? Are you looking at it now? I did. Uh, I did see it, and my first take is it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, for partially the same reasons they mentioned here about Apple acquiring a lot of intellectual property and buying up a lot of key supply stuff. Not that different than what we talked about for the micro LED thing. Um, but I also think of it from a the perspective of like what ended up happening with Touch ID, where I think it yeah. did take about yeah. two years before a legitimate Touch ID competitor came out uh, outside of the Apple ecosystem. Like to be clear, there were immediate competitors. I think within six months, I think there was like a HTC one, but it was like uh, negligent at best, <laughs> right? It was like <laughs> how can we use bubblegum and duct tape to make something that's oh, hypothetically right. yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah. Touch ID, except it doesn't work in any of the same sort of. Um, 
efficiency, um, yeah. user experience standpoint, and most critically, the security standpoint, which is, is very underrated um, by general folks. But for those of us who know better, we say, oh, like Apple actually spends a lot of time and money making sure that this thing is very secure. Yeah, along those lines, I've heard that there's currently an Android Face ID technology out there that works perfectly well with a photograph of... Yeah, you know, I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And that's so, so It poor. checks the box from marketing of like, oh, we have Face ID recognition too. It's like, well, okay-ish, but it's not as secure and it's not as good. Right. Right. Then it will probably take two years before, you know, people reverse engineer and come up with their own uh, non-patent infringing versions of these and they make their way out to the, the phones. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, I went to it. There's a big print um, and pre-press show uh, that runs every five years, I think, in, in uh, Dusseldorf called Drupa, and which stands for Drachen something or other, which is Druck is um, German for print. And so the year I was there, um, plate setters had just come out. So, you know, in the whole the whole idea of getting back in the day, we used to make uh, printing plates and you'd have like four colored film and you would, you know, image them on your computer and you would burn them onto the plate. Well, they had just gotten to the point where they had what they call plate setters, where a laser could etch right onto the plate and then you run it through an, a, a processor and solidify the dots on the plate, right? So this is the latest technology coming out at the time. And this is, uh, I don't know what year, probably 95 maybe. And, um, so I was, my task was I got there, I was one of the first guys on the, on the, of our tech support group to get to Dusseldorf for the show. And so my, the president said to me, go around to all the different, you know, places and gather up information you can on all the different plate setters, right? And I went around to, it, it seemed like every booth at the show had something they were calling a plate setter. And like literally some people had like an oil drum cut in half with like a, you know, janky little, <laughs> you know, jury rig <laughs> thing that they figured out the week before. <laughs> and that this is what, here's our, you know, $100,000 plate setter thing. It literally was a piece of junk, right? So, and, but, and of course, there were some, you know, major players there, but yeah, like some that were size of a small room, like a small family could live inside one of these things. Or, but yeah, it was funny. Just everybody had something jury rigged for the show. That's kind of sort of what we have here, you know, in this, what you're, what the analogy you're giving, right? Some, yeah. Some bubble gum and wire and band-aids and, yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool technology though. I mean, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I mean, Face ID and Touch ID, they're, they're, they're designed, uh, you know, according to the literature to make using passwords easier to remember, right? Because you have to remember that big, long alphanumeric password you put in, right? Yeah, and yep. it makes it so that... It, it feels as if your phone is unlocked, even though yeah. it's technically locked all the time. Um, I will agree that it could be faster, and they've noted in this this article. But that was true of Touch ID when it first came out too. So I've every sure, reason yeah. to believe that it will get even more accurate, um, and it will get faster. So it will just like there will be more complaints about, oh my gosh, like I couldn't see the notification because it unlocked my phone too fast, right? Like when we get to that point, we'll say, oh, there you go, it's reached Touch ID levels of convenience. Well, I mean, like even so, the speculation about losing the the notch at the top of the phone in the next iteration, you know, could be that because the, the sensor gets that much smaller, right? And faster and, you know, twice as good and that whole yeah. Moore's, long thing, Moore's Law thing. I think my one irritation from a personal level is I have a pair of mirrored sunglasses. They're, they're very cheap, like $20, you know, kind of things. They're, so they're not expensive. And unfortunately, they're the kind of sunglasses that do not work with Face ID, even though really? I've, I've heard that many others do. So I've been, I've been considering junking my sunglasses and finding a new pair 
hair just because it's uh, enough of a, an irritant. And I'm like, I'm not going to give up face ID because I love it. I will just give up my sunglasses and get some new ones. Really? So you think it's because the infrared can't go through the glass or something? Or Yeah, they said it would work with sunglasses, but not all sunglasses. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'm just amazed by it because like, I mean, try this sometime in a dark room with like no lights on. You know, I, I, first time I went to the cottage with the, with my iPhone 10 and, you know, I just looked at the phone and it lit up and it was like the only light source for like 100 miles, you know? So it was pretty cool. The fact that it works in pitch black, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So neat stuff. All right. So there, we, I think we all got an email, I think yesterday about IBM there, Jaime. You want to fill us in? Yeah. The, the background to this is that IBM's Think 2018 is going on in Las Vegas um, from March oh, is okay. 22nd. Yeah. I think it's a relatively newer conference, or at least I haven't been familiar about it, but it's apparently the place where, and I'm reading from their website, where people are gathering to learn and make the world of business work smarter. So it's basically an IBM conference. That's probably the gist of what you need sure. to know. But at yeah. that, it was announced um, this sort of extended portion of the partnership between IBM and Apple. So in previous episodes, probably more than a year ago by now, uh, not sure how, maybe it's technically follow-up now. Um, IBM, we talked about how they were partnering with Apple related to um, building like enterprise apps and that sort of thing, right? They were like the, yeah. the preferred yep. provider for, for that sort of thing. Um, and now they've come out with the IBM Watson services for Coromel. And, and what does that really mean? Um, yeah, what if does that mean? Yeah, if you remember, I don't know, probably like three or four episodes ago, I'd mentioned, hey, looks like Microsoft Azure has its machine learning you know, services you know, that you can go online, use Azure services uh, in the cloud to train uh, you know, machine learning models. And then most critically, you could output a Coromel compatible model file and shove that into your app. It's the same thing here. In, in, instead, you're using Watson's services to train, test, and deploy your uh, machine learning model, your, your uh, neural network, and you can output that into a Coromel uh, specific format and put that into your apps. So that's uh, that's interesting to me in that it's a, a more official sort of route to do that. Uh, the Azure one we mentioned before was more that Microsoft decided to you know handle the uh, Coromel format as an output. Um, right. This one is a little bit more official because it's right here on developer.apple.com slash IBM. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's much more uh, in line with that. And I found it kind of interesting that I was chatting with other folks. I was like, oh, I'm surprised that Apple doesn't have its own sort of system for this. Like, what, what are they using for Siri under the covers? Mm-hmm. And everybody had sort of varying opinions of like, well, maybe it's more patchwork or maybe it's just a bunch <laughs> of if-else statements and some switch and some go-tos or something. And I, I, I don't know. It's so written in Apple script. With... Come on. Yeah, Apple script. Well, <laughs> right. it, you know, if you think about it, it, it kind of goes along with Apple's philosophy on the cloud in general. Uh, so th- this Watson thing, is kind of, it's also kind of like TensorFlow, what Google has, right? And yeah. and so now IBM and Google and Microsoft all have versions of this. And they also all, all offer cloud services where you can run an application on their huge server farms. Uh, Apple doesn't have that. No, AWS has it too, but they don't have a machine learning version. They Maybe they'll announce one next week. Who knows? But but so Apple has never been in the business of offering big server big capability, uh, capacity rather on server farms to their users, mm-hmm. and, and that's this is this is just one application of that. I mean, it's it's running a specific type of application that that each of these vendors is managing, and that's the you know the training software for the for the neural network. Uh, but it is still leveraging this concept of we have all these servers that we have time that we share time on amongst all. You know our, our customers, and we allow customers to to use. Uh, and, and as I said, Apple Apple just doesn't have that model at all. So it's not too surprising. 
music. Yeah, I, mm. I, I didn't mean that it was like, oh my gosh, it's like so wild, but just, oh, I thought, well, they probably have something of their own. I thought maybe this would be an opportunity for them to release their own, you know, micro version of it, not not as prevalent as uh, or as expansive catalog-wise as Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud Platform, or even IBM Cloud. Um, so you're right. I, I guess it does make sense as sort of the, the path of least resistance. And they already had that partnership to begin with, so extending yeah. it maybe was a, a sensible thing. Yeah, yeah. So have you guys looked at into how this works or is supposed to work? Like, because um, I, I was in the impression that Watson was was similar to Siri in that you you basically send it a query and it gives you a response, or whether it's playing Jeopardy or or playing chess or whatever. But I'm looking at this graph here on the on the Apple site and it looks like you have your core ML, you send it, I think you feed back information into Watson and then it updates your core ML model. Is that? Can you guys see that? Well, yeah. So it's the same way that you train any kind of neural network. So you have you have your training software. You have a you have a yeah. neural network which is essentially just a, a a huge number of parameters that need to be fit to a, an enormous amount of data. Uh, and the more data you feed into it, the the better those parameters become optimized to create this model. So so you need a a, a lot of computing power to take this just enormous number of of, of yeah, it into yeah, model, it yeah. and and come up with with the uh, with the with the right value. Then once you've got the model, it's very easy to run it on a, a relatively low powered machine. You can even run it on your phone. So, so right, but but that, in that sense, though, it's static at that point in, in a manner of speaking. But like yes, once then, the model you... is trained and you take the model and put it onto your device, it's it's fixed. Uh, but you can you can always improve the model by throwing more data at the trainer and then come up with a new version of the model and install and install that on your on your phone or whatever and use that instead. So so and could you sort of say how accurate the past model was and then use that as part of the feedback loop, like to feed back to the to the trainer? Um, well, sort of. So there's there's this concept. This is going to maybe go into a little too much detail, but there's this concept of of how accurate is your model on the training data, and then how accurate is the model on things outside yeah, of your field, set yeah. of training data. And yeah. in theory, you can get almost perfectly accurate on your training data. Uh, so your your model is perfect, but then you may find that that it's not. There are issues, and it's not so accurate on on uh, data from outside that and knowing that you you take when you find cases that are that, that are not predicted well from outside of your training set well the fix for that is well just take those cases and add them to your training set and then all of a sudden you and then retrain and now and now your model works for all of that data as well so now it's a perfect fit for all of that data uh, and you know rinse and repeat every time you find more data yeah. that doesn't fit your model well you add the new data to your training set and and retrain and then you've got a model that works over that broader space. Right, right. And I mean, that's kind of sort of what, what I would imagine this would be for, right? Like, you're not going to build a model and then just, that it's done, perfect, and off you go, right? Right. Well, uh, that's partly what this is for, but also partly that you need to build a model in the first place. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, most people don't have the computing resources to do that, you know, at, at, you know, at home in their basement. Yeah. But it looks yeah. like if you follow this link here, there's more on the IBM side. There's an ibm.com slash cloud slash Apple hyphen developer page. Right. They have links to their the GitHub bits that are um, open source projects. They have uh, links, of course, to their IBM Cloud, which used to be named uh, Bluemix service right. and, and kind of encourages you to sign up for that. I think in terms of the feedback loop, um, I think it's kind of implied um, to answer, hopefully answer partially the question you have by this animated image that's at the uh, yeah, Discover yeah. New Ways to Build Intelligence, where I don't know what this is doing. I think it's an app that helps you repair like an ATM machine or something. Yeah, or, like a, a photocopier or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think you, you know, you use the 
division piece with whatever this pre-trained CoreML or this uh, neural network that is in CoreML format that says, oh, it, it looks like there's a 96% confidence that this is a routing disk failure. But it has other options too, right? Like, oh, maybe it's 9% confident that this is a cache jam. And I would guess that the feedback loop would be which one did the user actually choose based you know, on what we provided them. But it turns out that, well, this is a cache jam problem. I'm assuming the part of the feedback loop that's shown on the little diagram is, oh, let's make sure we send information back to, uh, I guess, the Watson services in this case yeah. to say, oh, by the way, you should account for this um, particular error. Like the user had to self-correct and say, no, 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 machine, this is what it actually is. Or the woman walked out in front of the car. Right, right. And then it, it's not, like, as you mentioned, it, it's a static thing for the CoreML thing, so you would have to rev a whole new version of that model and then make it available to your application. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. We'll have to see what people do with that. With that. All right. Um, yeah, so I guess we're at the pick, Picorama part of the show, right? So um, I have a pick here, and it's kind of an odd one, and it's very, for me, it seemed like something that might fit my needs. And it comes from our uh, fan of the show, Justin Stanley, who I hope to see at WW, or RWDevCon in a couple of weeks, but um, that said, uh, it's an app called Yoink. I don't know if you've heard of Yoink before, um, but it sounded like kind of interesting. It's sort of, I guess it's like a, a, a scratch pad for your devices. I, I only bought the iOS version. Um, it was on sale the other day. And um, so one of the things I do, I, you know, when I'm working on the podcast during the week, you know, I'll kind of, I'll see a story and I'll go, oh, I, I, this looks like something that would be interesting. You know, we can talk about it and I'll, and I'll copy the link and I'll go over to the Google Doc and then I'll realize that we have, nobody's gone in and done the you know, set up the next episode uh, slot in, in our Google Docs. And so I've got this this thing in memory and I have to put it down somewhere and then I have to go and, you know, create the next episode and then go back and get that link again and paste it back in again. Well, so what Zoink does is gives me a space where I can copy something from, say, Safari or whatever, come over to Zoink, drop that, that piece of data down and then go back and, you know, finish my work. But you can also, using the share the sharing share extension in iOS, um, and I assume you could do something like that on on iOS or I'm sorry macOS with the services, but um, I can I can instead of instead of copying the link, I can just send it right over to Zoink, and then and then I can go do my thing on the Google Doc and then paste the thing in. So it's kind of a that's how I sort of see Zoink being used. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it before or even looked at it, but uh, kind of a and Justin says here in his uh, in his post that uh, maybe he'll give us some more information on it, but he uses this all the time in in his work, right? So that's it. That's my pick, Zoink. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it um, because I'm sure. Somebody will tell us. I believe it's Yoink with a Y if I'm reading this correctly. Oh, what did I say? Not Zoink with Zoink. a Z. Oh. <laughs> yoink, Zoink, whatever. <laughs> um, I haven't used this. It, I can see how it would be useful because I do something like a poor man's version of this using uh, a pick from way back in the archives called Unclutter. And it mm-hmm. has access to, um, well, one, like a little notes thing. So I'll drop you know links in there or I might open up the little local file uh, folder and drop stuff in there. But that's also a lot that's convenient than doing what's described here where uh, it looks like Justin uses a hot corner to get to the desktop selects what he wants, oh, yeah. drag it to Yoink and then let go so you can get there ah. a little bit more seamlessly. So I can see how that, that sort of little change would make it a whole lot easier and like, oh, whoops, I opened this already over here, let me drag it over to this other spot and, and just less manipulation rather than sort of doing what you would do in the real world. It's like I just drop stuff in this bucket, carry the bucket around and then move the bucket somewhere else. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of like Pocket for, like I was using Pocket on, on Safari and I don't really use it very much anymore but same idea with just sort of things that i wanted to keep track of maybe read for later throw them in the in the pocket uh extension yeah that's my pick 
Yoink. With a Y. <laughs> what do you got there, Jaime? Oh, look, Jaime, you were in a conference called Lead Developer. What do you know? Yeah, we mentioned it, I think, in the after show of, of uh, two or three episodes ago by now, I think. But the conference video itself has come out for I'm Lazy So I Write Tests, which is the presentation that I gave at the Lead Developer in Austin um, earlier this month. So about three weeks ago. And uh, you should have some fun watching it. It's it's pretty short. It's about eight and a half minutes, probably, because of the lightning talk. And if nothing else, within the first two minutes, you should enjoy the microphone troubles that I had. Yeah, yeah. Folks were listening to the show. Um, there was some sort of uh, interference that we believe was coming from AT&T's equipment as they were setting up and preparing for the South by Southwest festival. And it just so happened oh, right. to go off okay. during my presentation. And you can see some of the confusion I have as my wireless uh, head mic stops working and they give me a handheld mic, which also right. stops working for a little bit. And then eventually everything is okay. Yeah, that, must be, that was your spinal tap moment, right? <laughs> Does he get the reference? I get the reference. <laughs> All right. Odd and open. So uh, what's your, uh, yeah, exactly. What's your next um, pick there, honey? This is one I saw on Apple World today. It's kind of a weird case. They call it a, an iPhone combo phone case gaming console. So it's it's meant to look like a Game Boy. So it, it's a it's a regular phone case. It goes in the back of your you know the back of your phone. It has you know open access to all your ports and everything on your phone and your camera. But on the back, it has oh, a right, yeah. visual design that looks like an old school Nintendo Game Boy and is apparently loaded with what I can only assume are legally different enough games like. Tetris, Tank, Formula One, Racing, and Snake. So it's it's not exactly a Game Boy, to, to be clear. Uh, it's certainly not Nintendo branded. But uh, if you wanted something that was a little more, more you know, tactile when it comes to mobile gaming, um, rather than an iPhone game, you might want to give this a try. It looks like it's thirty three ninety nine US and it has cases for the iPhone ten, seven, eight, and seven eight plus. Oh, it does have an iPhone ten. The picture is an iPhone eight, I think, right? Mm. Or seven or something. Weird. Yeah, I, I think the thing that confused me until I watched the video is it's not what I thought. It's not like a Mophie uh, sort of battery case. I think it's, if I understood correctly, I think it uses like a little um, circular watch style battery that goes in the in the back too. So it's like a separate power source for what's essentially a little game console on the back of your, your phone. Because you wouldn't use your phone for games? Well, I, I, I thought, oh, it's either going to be, you know, drawing power out of uh, the lightning port, if that was even possible to, uh, you know, from the phone itself in order to power this. Or I thought, well, sure. maybe it's the opposite way. Maybe it's like a Mophie battery uh, battery charger case combo where it's feeding uh, electricity back into the phone itself. And it turns out it's neither one of those. Cool. Mm-hmm. So this would be useful if two people want to use the same phone to play two different games at the same time. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah. No, great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great use case there. You have those long long trips and the, the kids are getting angry and right. in the back you can have two different devices from the same from what I from what I see here, it, it looks like it's a pretty pocketable case. It doesn't <laughs> look like, oh well you know, we've got a whole Nintendo Switch on here and I can't put this thing in my pocket anymore. It, it looks like it would be reasonably um, well-fitting in terms of, you know, being able to still put the actual iPhone 10 back in your pocket. Right, right. Cool. And Mark, do you have a pick this week? I do have a pick. So this is a, uh, a, a Mac tool that I've actually been using for years and uh, I just had recent reason to use it and realized that I had never mentioned it on the show. So I figured might as well make it a pick because it might be useful for someone. Sure. So I do a lot of work with Core Data, as most people know. And uh, the great thing about Core Data is that it's a layer that sits on top of typically a, a SQLite database and abstracts away almost all of the SQLness away from from uh, from the database. So you don't really have to know anything about SQL queries or anything like that uh, to use Core Data. It, it's a 
it's an object uh, layer that sits on top, which is great mm-hmm. and fantastic until it doesn't work, until you have a problem. Right. And, and yeah. uh, if, you, if you've ever you know, had to diagnose that somehow there's, you got two copies of the same object in your database and you have no idea how it got there or, or, or there's missing fields or something like that, you can drive yourself crazy just trying to do it through the object layer, trying to figure out what's going on inside the actual database. So, so for cases like that, it's really useful to be able to, to actually probe what's what's going on inside the SQLite database. And so this is a tool that lets you do that. It's called the uh, DB Browser for SQLite. Uh, links should be in the in the show notes. Uh, it's a completely free app. You can download it from GitHub or it's on Homebrew or, or just download and, and install uh, directly. Uh, it works for not only the Mac, but it works on Windows, it works on Linux. And it's, it's just a really useful tool. It lets you open your database file and look at what your your schema is so what the, the what your objects are what your what your uh, rows and rows are and, and what's in there uh, and also just look at your data uh, and see what's in there and so if you're ever trying to diagnose a core data problem or any kind of SQL problem it's just really useful to be able to look inside it can also write some simple queries uh, and you can edit uh, the data inside the database but but I actually find that those aren't as useful for iOS because the the one drawback is that you have to be able to access the the SQL database on your phone in some way, uh, which is not the simplest thing on the iPhone. I typically use something like iExplorer to uh, to copy the file over to my Mac, and then I probe it with this tool. So you can take a snapshot of what your database is and look at it with this tool. Uh, it's it's it, it doesn't work so great for working in real time, trying to to check what's there. But but uh, but even even so, it, I, I still find it pretty enormously useful when I'm going to try to debug things or troubleshoot things. Cool. So I recommend checking it out. Yeah, I've been using Core Data. Pro for years, but I'm, okay. this, this yep. looks like maybe a bit more clear. Yeah, what's going on. I have used that one as well. Yeah, and and uh, at the time years ago, I, I I checked them both out, and I liked this one better. Right. Yeah. I mean, I use it on, in the simulator. I don't necessarily bring it off my phone. Oh, or whatever, but yeah. If you use it in the simulator, then none of the issues that I mentioned are a problem about having right. to probe it with I Explorer. We'll have to give this one. I have to give this one a whirl. Yeah, this is a nice one, and it's yeah, completely free. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Core Data Pro was free too. Mm, okay. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, uh, hey, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And as usual, I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. And thus ends another episode of More Than Just Code. This is friend of the show, Katie. And another friend, Jesse. We hope that you enjoy the show as much as we do, including the parts about code. And also the parts about more than code. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode, with links to the items talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please rate a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. The show is also on Twitter and Facebook, the Twitter account being MTJC underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. That's what we do. Thanks for listening with us. Let's either have the same amount of fun or more next time.
That's the name of that tune. Does Jaime know, does Jaime know what that reference what that reference is? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the scene you're talking about from This is Spinal Tap. Uh, yeah. Was it like the, the sandwich scene? It wasn't the This Goes to Eleven scene, was it? No, no, it's no. There's actually no. two this, scenes that are potentially applicable. Yeah, it's the scene where, where they're, they're at the end. The, the girlfriend has now become the manager, and they're playing at an Air Force base, and Nigel has a wireless guitar uh, rig on his... His, um, on like on his guitar, and he's trying to pick up. Instead of picking up the um, the signal from his guitar, his amp is picking up the the calls from the, the you know the air traffic control towers, and he ends up storming off. You know, throwing his guitar down and storming off. Yeah. And the other scene is that I referenced was was when they're the pods, uh, when yeah. they've got these pods that they're supposed to like, o- open and they walk out of. And and again, it's Nigel. No, it's not yeah. Nigel's. It's uh, Derek Smalls. Derek Smalls. Yeah, his his pod doesn't open, so he's stuck in the pod through the whole yeah. song. And they've got roadies there with blow torches trying to open them. Yeah, and it finally opens. <laughs> finally at the end opens of the song, at the end right? of the song, after and they've all gone back gone into back the pods. Here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That particular uh, documentary. Yeah. Oh. One of the best movies of all time. Well, I think it, that started the mockumentary thing too, if I'm not mistaken, right? I think Rob Reiner's film was one of the, one of the first ones, and then they did that. They did a whole bunch. Um, well, what's the name of the guy who plays Nigel? He's done a whole bunch of those. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god, I can't remember his name either, but uh, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there were a whole bunch of movies like uh, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, show, Waiting yeah. for Guffman. Uh, the Dog Show one. That was Best in Show, right? Best in Show, yeah. And uh, the uh, Mighty Wind was the other. Was the folk music one? Oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you, if, I don't know if you know who you know who Eugene Levy and and yeah. Um, oh yeah, sure. The whole Second City crew. Yeah. So G, uh, Eugene Levy and what's her name, um, Catherine O'Hara. Right. They're now doing a show on CBC called uh, Shit's Creek. I know the show. Is, yeah. yeah. For those of you who wondering, it's S C H I T Z. Um. Yeah. They basically play a couple that have you know run out of money and now they 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 buy this town or something that gets to hang on to their money and it's really good. I mean, like because the two of them play a husband and wife and again it's really funny. I don't know if it's improvised in the same way that uh, I think it has writers and stuff. Actually, a friend of mine, a friend of my sister's, actually is one of the one of the directors of that show. Mm, so uh-huh. kind of kind of a Chris Elliott also is in it. Yeah, yeah, he plays the mayor. The mayor, yeah, yeah. So why can't I find Vinyl Tap? This is Spinal Tap. That's the name of the movie, actually. This is Spinal Tap. Yeah, this is Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest. That's right. That's yeah. what we're trying to remember. Such a good movie. Yeah, and Michael uh, McKean is that his name? Michael McKean, yeah, and Harry Shearer. And Harry Shearer. Derek Smalls. Yeah. So uh, Harry Shearer has Derek. Smalls is doing is was on tour last year, right? Oh yeah, he, he may still be. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've seen a Mighty Wind, right? Uh, you know, I don't. I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Oh okay, okay. Yeah. So the the whole band Spinal Tap, the three guys who were Spinal, yeah, Tap, yeah, yeah, play yeah. a different band called the Folksmen in the right in the uh, the folk version, the mock mockumentary, right? A Mighty Wind. Yeah, I think I think I'm pretty sure I've seen it. I've, I've just I know Best in Show. I remember that one, but yeah, yeah I, of course I've seen Spinal Tap like twenty times, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. The other ones aren't as you know uh completely ridiculous you know fall over yeah. laughing as spinal tap but they're still good yeah yeah well i love the i love the uh the roadies game where they're playing cards and stuff like that and all the roadies in the in the show are like famous people like or am i thinking of almost famous uh, i think you might be thinking of yeah because peter frampton's yeah. one of the one of the roadies in that one and yeah yeah i don't remember yeah, that from spinal tap 
Hmm? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think I'm getting my my, my signals crossed. Mm-hmm. Another great movie, <laughs> almost famous. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The, they have a picture of the uh, the the knobs going to eleven on the. Uh, that's such a great visual jag gag. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, these must go to eleven. Yeah. But why don't you just turn it up a little hot louder and still call it ten? Uh huh. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> yeah. Or the one the guitar he's never played with still right. has a price tag on <laughs> still it. Still has a price yeah. tag on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember the influence here. It says by the song remains the same by Led Zeppelin. That came out about three or four months before uh, before Star Wars. Actually, mm. song remains the same. Or the year before, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I always thought Spinal Tap was the band part was was heavily influenced by by another uh, band, a British band called Hawkwind. Have you ever heard of? That? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They were they were. A, I, I like the band, but they were they were kind of a ridiculous band. Um, yeah. way over the top of you know science fiction theme music and oh, costumes yeah? and crazy elaborate sets and things like that and you know dancers on stage and and yeah. uh, and and they were famous for having uh, drummers die. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe I'm mixing that up with some, but they but they had a lot of you know a lot of changeover in in personnel and yeah and, uh, yeah. So I always thought that it was a little bit of a homage there. Yeah, you should see. Have you ever seen the family tree for the band? Yes. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I think they had a, they had a box set with it, the whole thing on there. Yeah. Well, so the, that that family tree actually there's a there's a, a whole book of those family trees. Yeah. Pete Frames family trees, rock family trees. Oh really? All sorts of bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a copy oh. of it somewhere. It's a pretty cool book if you can find it. It's probably been out of print for years. What's it called? Uh, the author was a guy named Pete Frame, and the title mm-hmm. is probably just something like Rock Family Trees, something like that. Probably on Amazon. Pete Frame. The remainder's been Family of Rock, maybe. Uh, let me see. Oh no, you're right. The complete Family Rock Trees. And look at that. It's on Amazon.com. Yeah. Amazon.ca. Rock Family Trees. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool book. Uh, you know, the the problem is it ends in like 1983. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but there's still a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's been tons of crossover over the years with, with the bands and people playing in other bands and stuff. Yeah. You know, like a lot of like a lot of Zappa was, I've listened to a lot of different iterations of Frank Zappa's bands, right? And he's had some pretty pretty interesting people in his groups, right? Yeah, Adrian Ballou was years. in Zappa. Yeah. And, uh, Lowell George was played with Zappa too. Yeah, George Duke and um, mm-hmm. Billy Preston. I mean, it's like, I've never heard of any of these people. George Duke. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, I have, but I'm not super familiar. Uh, Frank Zappa has Dweezil in like Moon Zappa. Moon Unit. Moon Unit. Yeah, Dweezil, yeah. Moon Unit, Ahmed, and Diva. Right. So yeah. they ended up with the same sort of naming scheme as like Soleil Moon Fry from Punky Brewster because they would have been the children of people from that era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the sad part about that is is, is that um, so he raised these kids to be pretty pretty you know wise about the way the world works the way commercialism works and all that kind of stuff right and, and uh, when he died his wife got um, the rights to all of his properties and his music and stuff like that and Dweezil's like I've seen Dweezil play like three or four times seven or eight times now I think about it uh, playing his dad's music and so when the mother died somehow she left she decided that the family trust would be run by the younger brother and the younger sister right who so Moon Unit and or Moon and uh, Dweezil so Dweezil has no rights to use his father's name now even though he's playing the music of Frank Zappa going around the world on you know tour doing that right and so he st- he did a tour last year called you know Dweezil Zappa plays whatever the beep he wants <laughs> you know uh, and the, or the the cease and desist tour right so yeah it's kind of but it's kind of sad like you know that for somebody who was so you know aware of you know how ridiculous people can be over this stuff you know it, it just through happenstance and you know you know he's been dead for like 10 years or more um you know I think even even more than that, probably 30 years, but 20 years, I should say. But yeah, just like how you lose control. 
control over uh, over the rights to things, right? Oh. Yeah, I mean, if there's a silver lining to that cloud, um, both Frank Zappa and Prince, who was also in life very much against yeah. streaming for music, both of those are available on Apple Music. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the family trust thing too, right? So. Yeah, because it's easy money, right? Like, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they do it, right? They they weren't the artists, the people who are um, holding yeah. onto the trusts. So yeah. there's the like, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. On the one hand, I kind of prefer it because it's you know whatever thing Prince had against um, music streaming, it, it was a barrier to me enjoying his music. So very Probably, selfishly, yeah. I, I prefer it that way. But at uh. the same time, it's like you know the the wishes of of a dead person and, and honoring those. Like you don't want to uh, just toss that aside either in search of the almighty dollar. No, so it's funny. It's, well, it's interesting too, though. Like like so, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to albums on vinyl, but they they do sound different, right? And um, I mean, and you know, just from digitizing something, you have to throw data away because you can't, you know, you have to decide what the, the bit rate is, right? And everything between the bits gets tossed, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so when CD 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 players came out, they were they were not as um, the timbre of them is they're more tinny than than deep, right? So what Frank Zappa did in the last twenty years of his life, so he went back and he re- remixed all of his music to work better on CD, right? And that was I think one of his main complaints about this whole thing, right? And ironically, you know, it's funny we talk about uh, I heard somebody say make this point once before, but you know, we we talk about we have to have you know 1080p and 4K video and you know 8K video and ultra ultra HD and you know all that kind of stuff, and yet we can use MP3 for music. So we we want to have the best visual data we can get possibly, you know, Blu-ray and so on and so forth, right? And yet we'll sample things down on 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 MP3, and and that's a lossy compression, right? So the data gets thrown away, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But but most people can't hear the difference between no, that's three. true, but. Uh, but they can see you can definitely see the difference visually yeah, and your eyes yeah. are much more sensitive than your ears in, in general for most people that's true well yeah it, it, I mean it, it's it's arguable I mean like you know the, the whole uh, audiophile you know people you know claim that they can yeah. I, I, I don't know if I buy that I mean there's you know there's there's something called the Nyquist theorem right which says that yeah. that uh, as long as you sample at a, at a high enough rate which yeah. then then you're guaranteed to re- be able to reproduce so it's the the next right. yeah, says yeah, if, yeah. if you if you sample at a certain rate, then all frequencies up to half that rate are faithfully reproduced. Sure. So yeah. so yeah. CDs are specifically sampled at forty four point one kilohertz because the, mm-hmm. the range of human hearing is up to roughly twenty kilohertz. Right. And, so it's still better than than the human can hear, right? Yeah. And and any human who's been to you know who's ever been on, on a on a loud bus or gone to a rock concert yeah. or is over. 20 years old their yeah, yeah. their hearing is way lower than 20 kilohertz uh, right, right so so you know by the time you're you know 50 years old or whatever you're it's you're probably down to like 15 kilohertz or 12 kilohertz or something like that. sure oh, so, really? yeah it, 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 it gets it gets pretty bad so so uh so even at 44.1 it's it's still pretty good and and a lot of you know high quality professional audio is done at 48 kilohertz yeah. uh so it's it's sort of hard to argue that that uh you're re- you're actually losing anything. I think a lot of it is is psychology. Well, it's theoretical loss, I guess, right? <laughs> but it's not. The- it's not theoretical loss. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, theoretically, I- there is no there is no loss. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it, it's it's a loss, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that's not MP3, right? So, so the, yeah, the compression. Lower, yeah. So, so when you when you talk about sampling, you're just talking about using like a, a wave file, it's just PCN. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. It's it's just a it's just sampling. When you do something like MP3, yeah, you're compressing the data 
and you are definitely mm-hmm. throwing away information there for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there's more of an argument going from uh, just you know 44.1 kilohertz, uh, uh, just a, a wave file to to an MP3. Yeah, I, I could believe that you that you could hear the difference there, but but it's hard to be, it's hard for me to believe that that a CD which is you know just a you know just a time sampled format mm-hmm. is it's mm-hmm. it's hard to believe that anyone could hear the difference. Well, but I, but I think if you're a professional musician like Zappa was, it's probably very important to him. I mean, so by example, I I lived with a guy in university um, who had you know if you heard of Macintosh stereos, yes, it's, but it's British, MAC, British company, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a Macintosh stereo. I mean, it was so minimalist that it was you know about the size of a it was it's narrower than a regular laptop and about you know maybe maybe an inch tall, right? Yeah. And it had three knobs on it and a couple of switches and and he had this uh, turntable that had a glass um, plat, right? So it was like super solid. And he had this, you know, really, really high powered, you know, expensive needle. Like the needle was like two or $300 at the time, right? And great speakers. And I remember I would put on like, you know, a Yes album, like Fragile or something like that. And you could literally imagine, like you when you're listening to that music, it was so clear and so, you know, precise that you could imagine the, the people standing in the, in the room playing the music. Yeah, absolutely. You. But, but you know, that's that's more the, the characteristics of the amplifier and the speakers. Right. Not yeah, so but oh, the, just say, not the, well, so those are probably analog. Uh, yeah, yeah. This right? is this is this is a, an album, right? Yeah, a vinyl yeah. album, right? So yeah, so every amplifier has uh, some kind of uh, transfer characteristic, which is the frequency response. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not just flat over all possible frequencies. It's it's better right. at certain frequencies and worse at other frequencies. So yeah. so if if your amplifier characteristics are different than what the music was recorded at under, uh, then then you're you're yeah you're not going to reproduce exactly the same sound sure okay for sure yeah and actually probably the speakers are the the biggest thing because speakers are notoriously if you if you have cheap speakers they notoriously yeah. have bad transfer characteristics yeah i mean well i have to admit though the very first time i ever heard like a bowie a david bowie song on on um my phone with uh with proper you know apple earbuds or something like that the very first time i heard that i heard things i hadn't heard before i mean you mm-hmm. know and that's the, you know just because of how isolated the experience is that kind of stuff right well so, also it, it might have been a remastered version that you heard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing about. But it's one thing that bothers me about um, ripping. You know, your like because because from one CD to another, the quality of sound or reproduction or recording or whatever doesn't seem and levels are never the same. And yeah, you know, uh, that, I mean, I I haven't got that's I actually got into the sorry sorry yeah, interrupt, but that that's actually a really good point. Is that uh, probably and I'm just guessing here. A lot of the the audiophile legend that CDs aren't very good uh, yeah. came from in the early days of CD technology, they, people did a really crappy job in many cases transferring over from, yeah, they used crappy analog tapes and then they, they used just a poor uh, techno, poor, you know, A to D technology and, and didn't get faithful reproduction. And so there's lots of reasons why the CD quality could be bad that have nothing to do with that digital format. Yeah, the whole remastering thing, like like David Gilmore once said about Dark Side of the Moon, they, they had to go from tape to, like, they went so many times, like eight times transferring from tape to tape to tape to tape to tape to, tape to finally onto the air onto the record it says by the time it got there and you lose a little bit every time you do a transfer right with right. with analog tape yep. by the time it got to the record it, it sounded completely different than the original recording yeah you know, recording and and also yeah. they they optimize for the crappy quality of the vinyl yeah, at the yeah. time so if you take that thing you, you, you take that recording that was optimized to to make up for the fact that the, the medium that they were using was bad and then you play yeah. that on a much better medium like a, like a digital technology it sure, may sound yeah. bad because it's because you're, you're losing the stuff that it was optimized for. 
were. Yeah, yeah. And, well, a lot of those albums back in the seventies and eighties, nineties were. You'd look at the back of the disc and it would, or back of the CD, and it would say AAD, which meant two analog ver- right. you know, versions, recorded analog, you know, transferred analog, and then digitized. Right. Yeah. Whereas now we're going directly to disc and you know directly to SSD. In fact, you know, so I think like I, I just love the fact that now vinyl is coming back and people are putting putting things on vinyl and <laughs> putting stuff on vinyl that never was on vinyl to begin with. Not like, yeah, oh, yeah. This is a reprint. It's like no, no, no. Taylor Swift has never been on vinyl. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's funny. You know, I, I just saw the the bare naked ladies play at Strombo's place a couple of weeks ago. You guys know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so they had an album back in the day called Gordon, or actually it wasn't a it wasn't a album. I think it was like like a an EP. Like just it just went right to digital or whatever, right? And somebody had brought a, their Gordon album to have it signed. So they actually had a vinyl Gordon album that we, that I mean, which it was manufactured like two years ago. Mm. And you know, here these guys playing a song from like twenty years ago, right? So hey, here's a trivia yeah. question for you: What was the first, at least major label album recorded completely digitally? Oh my god! Mm. Album? I haven't the slightest clue. Label or album? Album. And <sighs> we'll qualify, like I said, by you know, major label thing. There might have been some obscure thing somewhere. Yeah. Right. So, uh, like a label, like Virgin or um, RCA. Oh, do you want the you want the yeah. label? Or no, you no, want I want the, the actual album. But I'm just saying, yeah. You know, it, it, there might have been some album recorded in some guy's you know research lab that we're not counting me. that. I'm just talking about something that was a regular commercial release. Hmm. And and I'll give you a hint, Javi. This is way before Virgin existed as a recording. <laughs> that was a relatively late cover. Really? Well, I'm going to have to go with... No way. If it weren't really easy to Google it, I would say we could... Rye Cooter? Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you Googled it. <laughs> yeah, of course I did. Yeah. Who was it? I didn't hear the album. Rye Cooter. Rye Cooter. Bop, Bop till you drop. drop. Really? 79. Yep. 79. Wow. Yep. Mm, interesting. Okay, ago. so it's later than I thought. I, I knew that like the Beatles were really hot into trying out new tech. Oh, though, that's oh yeah, way, that was way were... too early for digital. Mm. Yeah, I thought no, maybe Beatles... they would like found a lab at MIT or something and like, oh, <laughs> no, there you no. go. Yeah, we used it for this one song, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, no, the Beatles were the Beatles were the first one to use multi. I mean, multi track, but they were like, I mean, they were like way back in technology wise. Yeah, yeah, what going on. Drop, take, mm. drop. I don't can't even see what the yeah. They weren't even like. synthesizers back then when Beatles were. Uh, yeah, there were. Well, they, very had, early they had Mellotron. They had Mellotrons and. Um, did they have Moogs? Mellotrons were like Mellotron 1969, right? Yeah, but they were tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Moogs, no, they, Moogs were actually Moogs, right? Were 70s. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, the Mellotron was a crazy thing. It was basically a keyboard that that had, there were all these tape loops yeah. uh, inside and, and you'd, you'd press a key and it would play one of the tape loops. Yeah. And apparently they were insanely hard to keep in tune. Yeah. Stage. So the beginning of um, um, Strawberry Fields is played on a Mellotron. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep, yep. Yeah, because I saw I saw Paul McCartney talking about in this, it must have been recorded in the seventies or eighties of him talking about how they did a lot of stuff and and he actually had a Mellotron on the stage and he and he played a little bit of it just to show how that worked right mm-hmm. so yeah no I'm trying to think here because because well Emerson Lake and Palmer when were they around because Keith Emerson had an early Moog right yeah he had an early Moog um, he had the one the big one the big you know the big giant one yeah. I got to work with uh, Rollins and Moogs and stuff like that when I was in university it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing yeah, ELP probably started around seventy. 71. Yeah, that's about right. Greg Lake was in King Crimson in 1969. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Court of the Kings and King, Crimson King. Yep. Um, Tim, I was thinking a little bit about your sort of initial question here about, you know, 1080p is not good enough anymore. It's got to be 4K. Yeah, yeah. Now it's got to be 8K. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I, I wonder if the context is a little bit different because, you know, for the majority of context for why people want, you know, more and more resolution, yes, the eyes are better, but it's also generally the focus of the activity. You're watching television, mm-hmm. you're watching a movie, you know, you 
were watching you know, a Blu-ray disc or something. Whereas with audio, while yes, there are um, audiophiles and music fans who like, they will just sit there and listen to the music. And that's the only mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. For most people, the music is kind of a secondary activity. I'm working mm-hmm. out. I'm walking the dog. I'm doing you know, yeah, yeah, homework, yeah. You know, yeah. that sort of yeah. thing where, you know, super precise fidelity isn't all that important because you kind of get the gist of the thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel like I've, I've noticed that in myself where, um, like, I, I just do not play music from the uh, Amazon Echo or the Google Home because they sound like hot garbage. Yeah. And they didn't before, but now that I have the HomePod, like, that is, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is the favorite child to play music because it sounds beautiful on there. Yeah. I was talking to a guy the other day who brought one back from the States, and he was saying he has a really expensive Sonos speaker, yep. and he says the HomePod is, is as good, if not better, than this expensive Sonos thing he's got. Hmm. Yeah. He's that impressed with it from a music point of view. Mm-hmm. Another point about the, the 1080p, et cetera, is that the screens are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So you need the better yeah. resolution in order for it to yeah. be even decent on the much bigger screen. Yeah. yeah. And audio doesn't scale that way. Yeah. It's funny how we're getting spoiled mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the theaters, too. I went and saw Tomb Raider the other day, and I, and I bought the, you know, I had, was, had my grandson with me, so I couldn't go to like a VIP one because they have to be 19 to go into those because they serve alcohol. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I grabbed a ticket at the IMAX, and I'm thinking, oh, great, IMAX 3D, here we go, right? And I get in there, and it's like IMAX 2D. I'm like, oh, I can't watch this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, standard death in black and white? <laughs> what? It's it really three aspect. It's really hard to watch something in standard definition now, on, even on TV. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so I have this new, I got this new TV, uh, what is it? I think it's an LG or Sanyo. No, it's Sanyo. And uh, my old, my LG TV used to, used to stretch all the images to fit the full screen, but this one won't. So I got a few channels, like the country music channel, it'll, it kind of shrinks it down. So it's got little black bars all the way around it. Right. So kind of annoying. And yeah, and you, when you see a commercial or something like that, it's all out of focus and fuzzy and yeah, yeah mm-hmm. totally can tell. Try watching, um, comparing Star Trek, the next generation, which was remastered on Netflix yeah, yeah, yeah. versus Deep Space Nine. And oh my gosh, it, it, Deep Space Nine looks terrible, terrible. Yeah. It's a wrong yeah. aspect ratio. It looks all fuzzy and grainy. And they went through the effort of remastering TNG, including the effects. And it looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've noticed too, the original series, if I watch it on Netflix, it has black bars on the side. So it's full height, but it's got the black bars on the side. And yet when I watch the, the original series on the, that's put out on Space TV, they crop it to 16 by 9. Like it's still high res, but they, they're obviously, you know, chopping the tops of the captain head off and his feet and whatever yeah so is it framed all all weirdly no no it's 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 the it's not distorted it's just that 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 they've no no they've made like so, oh he's talking to somebody who's not on the screen because they, they yeah zoomed in well it's not quite like that but it's, it, but it's more like aspect aspect fit to aspect fill right <laughs> right right he's an ios reference there for, so uh, tim reference. you saw tomb raider what did you what did you think of it I haven't oh seen I, it. It, so it's funny it's funny because i heard on friday morning they do a review on cbc um where karen gordon comes on and she talks about the the you know the, she picks a couple of good movies that are, and she does a review of them and whatever and, and she she's going on about the review of, of Tomb Raider and then she's and this, the guy sort of says to her so was it a good movie she said no and yet I had just seen it that the night before and I'm like she's totally wrong because if you're a gamer and you're a, if you're at all familiar with the Tomb Raider game and you've played any version of it especially the last two versions right um, it totally hit all the marks I mean it was you know like the the acting was or the storyline was it was a little far fetched and the you know some of the things that she does during the during her time on this island you know are like how could you possibly survive that or why would you even think to try that but they're all they're all um, mirroring or playing homage to the mechanisms within the game right like she's always got to go and find resources and she's got to you know find weapons and things like that and she starts off with nothing and she 
ends up with, you know, uh, you know, kicking people's butts and leaping across chasms that you couldn't possibly, and, you know, grabbing with two hands because all of her, you know, because in the game, that's the mechanic of the game, right? So it totally hit all the marks of the franchise. Everything that they did was sort of within canon, if you want to call it that. It was totally believable. She's a, she's a very, uh, her, her acting, uh, like she's a great actor to play that part. You know, Angelina Jolie was always a little stiff as, as um, Laura Croft, whereas mm-hmm. Alicia Van Kander is much better at it. And um, yeah, I think as a Tomb Raider fan, and I've been watching, I've been playing Tomb Raider since like 97 or something like that when it first came out. Second version, I think I played Tomb Raider 2 first. Um, yeah, it totally, it, it hit all the marks as far as I was concerned. It was a great movie. Yeah, highly recommend it. Even, even just as like you, like again, I'm also comparing it to the ridiculousness of the Avengers or the Thor movie or, you know, your favorite one, Pacific Rim franchise, you know, like in that sort of sense, it was like, you know, it's, it's a, get yourself a bowl of popcorn and, you know, sit back and enjoy the movie. Right. So, yeah, I intend to go see Pacific Rim Uprising as a, <laughs> uh, on a vacation day. So it's not going to be day one. Yeah. It's going to be towards the end of March, I think, oh, yeah. on a day off. Yeah. And it's going to be, I don't want to think about anything. I want to watch giant robots punch yeah. giant monsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just relax, just enjoy myself like a, like a mental spa, you know? Yeah. Well, I looked at, I don't have my phone with me, right? But I looked at the, the results on Flickster to see uh, what the box office was for, for Tomb Raider. I mean, um, what's the other movie? I think Black Panther is still kicking butt, right? That's the thing. Black Panther is still destroying everybody. It, it hurt A Wrinkle yeah. in Time. It's yeah, 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 other yeah. things like... Have you guys seen that yet? I haven't seen it yet. Black Wrinkle Panther in time is good. Or, it is? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we actually it's, did it's a, a funny a film podcast like, episode of it. That? We, did, we actually did a Spotcast episode about it. Oh, right. And it's it, it's a funny film because it's, it's actually in a non-spoiler way. It's actually a much better film when he's not in the suit. <laughs> oh, really? When he's yeah, the king yeah, I guess so. and he's just like a normal dude and not yeah. like a superhero. It's actually a much better a normal, normal king, film I mean, yeah, during yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. You saw you, you you posted that thing about the little kid doing the doing his homage to. Uh... No, that's <laughs> to hilarious, Mba- eh? To I, I don't know the actor's name for Mbaku and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Florence Whitaker. Uh, uh, that little kid was spot on. Uh, he, he was funny. Yeah, yeah. Even the accents He's, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The little kid doing the accents. They has like a, like a bath towel and yeah, <laughs> like a rug or something that he's using is for the other yeah. characters like um, like fur sort of covering yeah. and stuff. And it came out, it came out like a couple of days after the, the movie was out. It was like, 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 what did you see it? Like eight times or something like that, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's up to like a billion dollars, I think worldwide. But the, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, you I see think local so box ticket... office for America is like five or 600 mil, but it's like a billion dollars worldwide. Yeah. I think. Let me, but did you see the Avenger tickets went on sale the other day and they've already beat, um, in terms of um, sales on the first day or something like that? Yeah. It, it doesn't surprise me because that's, that's a huge blockbuster. Yeah. Mark, have you seen um, have you seen Discovery yet? Have you taken advantage of the? I think no, they have a free month promotion for for that. I haven't. I've been uh, been watching uh, Peaky Blinders. No. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. No, How no, many seasons glad to, is that? It, it's uh, it's four seasons. I'm only I'm still in season three. I slowed down in season three. Yeah. But uh, I, I definitely binged watched the first couple of seasons. Yeah, it's four seasons, but because they're British, they're only six six episodes per season. Right. So there's only 24 episodes. Yeah. But yeah, you'll be... Oh, okay, okay. By the time it's over, you'll be like, okay, what are they going to do now? Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of twists there at the end. I won't spoil Don't it. Don't say anything. Some... Don't spoil it. I, I've already said too much. I'm opening the Flickster app. Let's see. The main see. character in Peaky Blinders is the Scarecrow from the yeah, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, right? yeah, Okay. Yeah, yeah Nolan, there's a... Yeah. I'm trying to think. He's the, he's the only, for me, like not being 
like a British, like I'm sure in Britain these guys are well known. But yeah, he's, I think he's, oh, sorry, the um, the guy from Jurassic Park, what's his name again? The Australian guy, New Zealand guy, plays the cop at the beginning there, Mark. Oh, that guy. Sam Neill. Sam yeah, Neill. yeah, yeah. The guy who plays yeah. Dr. Grant. Yeah, Sam Neill's, Sam Neill's in it as, as the main sort of foil. Right. Yeah, and he. Oh, uh, I think I've seen the card. Is he like a rich dude? Like, I, uh, I, like, I mostly know like from the like the little. Inspector. Oh, the police inspector. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, the the blinders are rich because they they make lots of money. Yeah, all I know is from like you know how Netflix shows you the automatic preview of stuff as you yeah. kind of scroll through each slide. So I know only like the first ten seconds of whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. So have you gotten to um, what's his name yet? Um, the guy that makes the the I think it's a rum. Um, guy that makes the rum. Yeah, the actor, British actor, is really good. He played he played um, the villain in the last um, Batman movie. Oh, what's his name? Tom Hardy. Like which Tom Batman Hardy? Yeah, Tom is amazing Hill? in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, he totally makes that that uh, that show. Which character was that he's um hang on just going up here i feel like my whole uh, personal arc with tom hardy has done a 180 because i really didn't like him that much really in as shinzon in star trek um nemesis oh yeah 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 Uh, see i I knew him from before that because he was in a bunch of guy Ritchie movies um Mm, so seeing him as bane and bane that's like a completely different front and seeing him as whatever that dude's name was in the revenant he plays alfie Um, solomons oh yeah he was really good Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Peaky. You got. If yeah. So yeah. Stop the podcast. Go watch Peaky Blinders and then come back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely worth watching. Are we allowed to say uh, Peaky Fooking Blinders? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. They they yell that actually, don't they? Yeah. 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 I think you can say Fooky. It's okay. Yeah. No. That's an amazing, amazing movie. Terminal. They're doing another movie called Terminal. Yeah. So uh, just uh, coming back to what we were just talking about, Flickster. So it looks like in the I don't know if it's Canadian box office or worldwide. No, U.S. I guess. Um. No. It's just U.S. rating. So yeah, Black Panther did 26 million this weekend. Tomb Raider did 23, which is not bad. And Wrinkle in Time did 16. And another movie called I Can Only Imagine, never heard of it, uh, for 17. But yeah, amazing that um, the top of the box office is still Black Panther. Yeah, 26 million. How long has Black Panther been out? Like more than a month? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's kind of an unreasonably good box office for the way it tends to work now, where it's like a huge spike for the first couple weeks and it sort of tails off. And then within six months, it's on DVD and so on and so forth. Um, oh, Why can't I find Black Panther on my phone? It's funny that you can't search backward in the calendar, or can you? Black? Nope. I feel like it came out the same weekend as um, President's Day because I saw it that President's Day Monday since I had the day off. Yeah. I think it what, came out what, the what Friday they, or what, Thursday. That, that Mar- oh, so February. That was our, our family day, February something, right? Yeah, February 19th-ish. Yeah. So it probably came out the 15th, 16th of February. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, February 16th is when we went and saw it. And you went that weekend afterwards, right? Yeah, I went on the, and I the went day off day I had out. for yeah. President's Day. Yeah. Have you got your ticket for Avengers yet? I do not because I <gasps> think I'm going to go with a group of folks. Oh, okay. Probably on a on an off day. It's probably not going to be day one. It'll probably be yeah. like a random Tuesday or something in the middle of the day, yeah. I think, is what yeah. they're thinking. But I need, to, I need to get that figured out. I think I might be g- either going it alone or going with uh, that group of folks because I sat down and thought about trying to explain it to my fiance and it was just too difficult 
difficult to explain <laughs> just what you can see of people in the trailers. Oh, really? She hasn't seen every Marvel movie, and she's not like as hardcore into the yeah, okay. into the comic side. I don't think I am either. Movies. Apparently, there's some new characters in this one too, like because they were speculating on who Peter Dink- Dinklage plays. So here's a question I have for you. So the the dudes, what's the name of the, the big bad guy with the rings and the gauntlet? Thanos with the Infinity Gems. Thanos, yeah. So Thanos did, and and some um, Brolin plays him, right? Um, Josh, Josh Brolin, Brolin, right? So mm-hmm. I got stuck there because James Brolin was the the character from when, or the, the actor from when Mark and I were little scrappers, right? But um, was he has he always played Thanos in all the other movies? I'd have to look. I suspect not because the character looks a little bit different from the very first time. Because wasn't he him. like in the Dark Shadows in the first Thor movie or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Where they show like his smiling face in one of those end credits scenes. Yeah, and yeah. Then but it would it would be so cool if, in, if that character Thanos had. Um, let me just, let's Google him. Um, if, yeah, I'd be curious to see if it's if it really was still James because, Brolin. That would be, that would have been or not James Brolin, Josh Brolin. That would have been so cool if uh, if they had figured that out like back then. I'm also intrigued by the fact that Josh Brolin plays Cable in the new Deadpool movie. Oh, does it? Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Spotcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> a little bit of crossing over territory. Um, I did encounter some unfortunate spoilers as I was walking through um, Target. Yeah. You know, doing normal normal grocery shopping that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, on the end cap, so like at the end of the aisle, they had uh, all the Avengers toys. And I was like, no, oh, why did I have to see Thor? <laughs> why would you show me this? I was like, there's a spoiler in there. Oh, and they see, look at the toys? Yeah. Huh. So they didn't do it the same way. Like, you know, I, I've been pretty happy with the way that the Star Wars stuff works, where right. they'll have like, all right, everybody knows like Luke's in there. Everybody knows that Ray's in there. Okay, we'll release those toys. And then we won't release the other toys until uh, like the movie it comes out or like you know at least the the main you know non-teaser but like the actual like we're telling you more of the plot trailer comes out yeah yeah so here's some real-time follow-up damien potier plays a cam made a cameo appearance as thanos as it credited as man number one during the mid-credits of avengers as loki's okay. mysterious benefactor so avengers was the second thor that's when we're where loki goes bad right or was he bad in the first movie too thor movie. he was bad he was bad in thor mm-hmm. and he makes his return as a villain in um, Avengers. So so Josh Brolin played um, Thanos in 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy, uncredited. Okay. Yeah, so that's okay. cool. That's so when cool. they show him getting mad at, what was that character's name? Rowan or Roland? Yeah, like that. yeah. Rowan, yeah, Rowan the Accuser. Right. And, that's and they show him yeah. at the tail end, like, all right, if I have to do this myself, and he puts the, the gauntlet on. Oh, does he? Sort of hinting at the Infinity Gauntlet oh, thing at the end. See? Yeah. Man, they've been building up to this for, like, a decade. <laughs> <laughs> Slowly building all up to 18 and, movies yeah exactly and it's coming together and it's an insane number of characters yeah, yeah. i don't know i don't know how they're going to do it i i suspect they have to kill off yeah. some of these characters probably the the older more expensive actors yeah and say oh we're gonna make room for the new blood everybody loves back panther everybody loves ant-man ant-man's cheap you know yeah, yeah. well this character this guy damien potter which yeah i don't even know who he is um but apparently he's been in like uh captain american civil war mercenaries hangover part three avengers uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, pile of them. Star Trek 2009. Hmm. Uh, but he's a stuntman, right? So I guess, yeah. So he's been as yeah, a stuntman in all these other movies. Cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm I'm going because, you know, I kind of, I'm obligated now because of the po- podcast and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we'll they're... do our yeah. special episode of a, a Spotcast for that while we're still on hiatus. Hiatus, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, the, run, the running Doctor scene Who. where the Avengers, let's look up the Avengers. Here's the 
running, you know, the running scene. Um, are you going to go see these movies, Mark, at all? Yeah, I'll probably see the Avengers. Uh, uh, called, what's this one called? Uh, not Infinity War. Is it Infinity War? Yeah, Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, the scene where they're all running, they can see all the different Avengers in there, right? So, yeah, because I was surprised to see uh, the um, Denai Guerra from um, The Walking Dead, because she's reprising her role from that there other movie, right? Who's this guy? I don't guy? know which character that is. Who's the guy with the blonde hair and the beard? Just trailer. I don't know what trailer. If it's the scene I'm thinking of, the, that one scene where they're all running and they have the, the people yeah. from Black Panther, the, they have the, the lady warriors. Yeah. The Dora, Dora Milaje, and they also have yeah. like the, the other uh, communities from Black Panther, uh, from Wakanda. But it has um, Captain oh, America. Maybe it's Captain America, America. Captain America all in black here, right? Because mm-hmm. did he lose Because he's, he's not Captain America anymore, right? Because he, after Civil War. Yeah. Um, he was bad. Well, he went rogue, right? He was uh, like, oh, okay. government's doing messed up things. I don't, that, that's not justice. So he's becoming his own dude. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's and a Democrat now? War Machine for uh, lying in there. Um, I think the Hulk is in there. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like they split up the, the team quite a bit because we see some characters together and then others not together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it'll probably be uh, sort of a multi. And the twins, right? The two kids with the magic powers. I guess this is from... Uh, two kids? Yeah. The the girl with the, the fire that comes out of her hands and the... Right. So that's Scarlet Witch. Is it? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about her brother, Quicksilver, he died in Age of Ultron. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. So there's some guy in the... Po- maybe maybe this poster that I'm looking at is from, from that, not from this. Right, right. Yeah, because he also has Cyclops. He's in this franchise, right? Or am I getting them mixed up? Cyclops? No, Cyclops would be from the X-Men franchise. See? There you go, right? <laughs> need to hand out a program. I liked one scene from the trailer where they have uh, Star-Lord talking to Tony Stark. Yeah. And he's like, so let's talk about this plan of yours. It's good, except it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So let me do the plan, and then it might be really good. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna have, I wonder how they work those guys into the story, right? Yeah, this random set of people who uh, know a lot about Thanos, but nobody else knows anything about them. Yeah. It'll be it'll be quite the movie, Tim. I, I have I have a feeling it's going to end on a severe cliffhanger, and it'll be like, come next summer yeah. for Avengers Infinity War Part 2. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Or they'll start some lame TV show based on it, right? <laughs> the, the spin-off now on CBS All Access. Yeah, the final. Pay your $5.99 a month to watch. Yeah. What was the name of that character that got killed you just talked about a minute ago? Quicksilver. Quicksilver, yeah. They'll, they'll resurrect him somehow and give him his own show, just like they did with uh, Olsen, right? <laughs> so the Infinity Gauntlet hypothetically lets any of those things occur. Really? He can, they can wipe out all the characters. They can bring back dead ones because the, the six gems together oh. give you unlimited power, right? Right. The power of a god. Right. Oh, okay. That's believable. <laughs> it made a really cool six-part comic series uh, back in the 80s. Yeah, I guess so. Oh. I guess so. Yeah, Chris Evans, Captain America, some girl playing a waitress, waitress number one. Paul Bethany plays Edwin Jarvis. Oh, they have Black Widow. She's new, right? It's funny. Scarlett Johansson, oh, right? No, well, they have a different girl, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's right. And just like on Google, they've got the cast and they've got the developed, they've got Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk, which, yeah, okay, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Somebody was having fun with that one. <laughs> Making a cameo or something, right? Her- Harold, D- Harold Dean Stanton is the security guard. He died last year, so that's yeah. going to be a little difficult to do that one. DGI. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that time, you know, we were talking about like, well, you know, what does it mean for the wishes of Prince if, you know, he didn't want his music on yeah. streaming? And then we're going to have to start talking about stuff like General Tarkin style, like, is it okay to bring back this particular person's image for a movie? Uh-huh. Oh, General Moth Tarkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Peter Cushing. Yep, sure. I don't think anybody asked him, you know, when he was on his deathbed, like, hey, man, yeah. if someday we have the ability to make another film with you in it, would you let us do that? Is that okay? Yeah. Is so that I do remember wishes? I do remember when they were first starting about talking about digital actors that um, Tom Cruise was totally against that, right? Um, I remember him speaking 
yet about that at one point. Like the fact that, you know, they, they'll be able to digitally reproduce people. And here they've just done Carrie Fisher and, and uh, Peter Cushing, right? Yeah. Al- and almost convincingly. With enough time, you won't even need voice actors. They won't even be yeah. that. You'll just have the computer, you know. Well, that's what we were talking about with the, with the, the deep, vocaloid um, technology. We were talking about that with the deep, uh, deep fake last week, right? Where, yeah. Yeah. you know, you can have, you can not only have the, the voice, but you could also have the, so you can have the voice, but also you can know, also change the, the image, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And when's that coming up next week? What are we talking about? Um, we're talking about uh, Avengers. I think it's April 27th. Oh, okay, okay, you're right. Next week is uh, Ready Player One, I think, right? Uh, it's a good question. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot more commercials for that, so probably. Yeah. Same thing with Well, uh, this, week is, this week is your Pacific YouTube. Rim, right? So, yeah. yeah. Pacific Rim is this week, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Just based on the YouTube ads that I've been seeing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got a dog at the top of the stairs. He's, he needs to go out and take care of business, so I guess we'll... Uh, Already. Oh, here he comes. <laughs> Come to say hello. All right, so yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up and talk to you guys later. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. bye.